in the language in the conventions of Dhamma practice, at least in the Buddhist practice, is uh, seen as the removal or the abandoning of desires and attachments, attachment and desire, and different kinds of desire and courses. One that's the abandon is not so much conscious motivation, but kind of pathological, instinctive craving, thirst, words, thirst, tanha. It's a very earthy, colloquial expression. As much of the Buddha Dharma is actually, but unfortunately, it's translated in rather uh, abstract, almost academic ways, but. Tanha means thirst, so thirst is something you decide to have. Uh, it's a condition that arises and it gets us moving. Tanha. How do you abandon thirst? How do you check or stop thirst? Well, don't drink anything? No. <laughs> Uh, drink the right things. Tana upadana, the word upadana is about taking hold of. Uh, something takes hold, something grips, something holds. There's a holding experience, the experience of holding. So how do you stop doing that? Well, Stop holding the wrong things. Stop holding things that are labelled to break up and cause pain. But do hold to the Dhamma and do desire your liberation. So why do we hold the wrong things, things that break up, things that uh, cause uh, uh, harm, problems, conflicts, jealousies, uh, disappointments? Why do we crave, or we get thirsty for stuff that never really quench our thirst? Because of something else called avijja, not seeing, not getting it, not really connecting to what's happening. So these three, Rija, Tanha, Upadana. Removal of not seeing, seeing things directly, seeing things clearly. Um, And there's the removal of the craving, thirst, and the removal of gripping, holding on grabbing hold, being grabbed hold of, that contracting, tightening, hardening experience happens around the heart. What is to be seen? Well, four noble truths to be seen. This is suffering. This is how it arises. This is how it passes. This is the path. And where is that seen? How can that be seen? We can read it in a book. That doesn't do it. Gives us a clue, it doesn't do it. What is to be seen? What is to be revealed? Uh, Chitta is to be revealed. Awareness, heart is to be revealed. This is where we can experience the pangs of thirst, the fumbling of Ignorance, the fumbling, reactivity, blind assumptions, reactions, uh, blurs, uh, distractedness, you know, things that blur our attention. We can, can recognise that, the, jer- the jarring, the blurring, the distracting, uh, and going into territories where you feel driven by thirst. Mm. 
tissue level, something desperately wanting to have. And we get the experience of upadana, which is grip. You're gripped by, held by, which at first gives one a feeling of firmness. Yeah, this is what I am. I've got this. This is my opinion. Yeah, I feel strong in this. And then it leads to a certain hardening of the heart, an inflexibility, a judgmentalness, dogmatism, attitudes of that nature, and the loss of warmth, humour, lightness, openness. So suffering, this is suffering, dukkha. May not be agonisingly painful, but it's a severe constriction, limitation on the potential. Um, so much, and this avijja can be so powerful that we almost sometimes we barely realise we don't have to be constricted, or we recognise we have certain. Uh, we think, oh yeah, I've got limited freedom. But here, well, it's just like this, I'm like this, that's the way it is, people are like that, the world's like this, and with that kind of stiffness uh, around it. Mm. also, is we tend to take the sensory description of the world, of our experience, as the fundamental reality, which everything else has to fit in. It's hardly unusual because that's the that's the basic model that's presented by our senses and by the media and by uh, the world around us by and large. And sense consciousness is the reality. And you know, if you want to do the way it's meditating in your spare time, that's fine. <laughs> Until you get back to reality again. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. Real world, how does this fit into the real world? Well, it doesn't. <laughs> how real is the real world? That's reality. You know, look around. Limitations, pain, suffering, conflict, death. Separation from the loved, association with what one dislikes. Um, being stuck. Dukkha, the real world. And uh, Buddha is saying, well, yeah, you know, in this very embodied sense, you can experience that domain, that world, that sense consciousness, that world of perceptions and impressions arise, and you can also experience it subsiding. And I teach this, all of that. Particularly, of course, the subsiding, <coughs> the ending of the world, Nibbana, the dissolution of that domain, being able to uh, arrive at a place where that domain of separation, loss, pain and conflict end. So there's no need, it can't be held, it can't be gripped, because it's the ending of that. It's not something that we can arrive at through craving, because it's the ending of that. But it can be arrived at through skillful desire, motivation, and it can be arrived at through holding or bearing in mind, staying with, commitment to practice. So let's be careful with these terms, because it's so easy to do verbal double-takes on it when you shouldn't be attached to practice. Mm, well. <laughs> and you shouldn't have any motivation to 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 purify the mind. Well, is that, is that craving again? Well, <laughs> you know how you can see. We shouldn't have any desires at all, really. And then, uh, well, no, no, you need desire, uh, interest, energy, aspiration, uh, vigor. Mm. But it's a particular kind of motivation to reveal, to clarify, to find the places where tanha, 
doesn't operate, where there's the gift, where beautiful things arise, where suffering ceases. There's a particular penetrative um, attentiveness that is a necessary condition. And like uh, as much as to be made of this fact of necessary conditions there are, we, we may be sceptical about our desires or embarrassed by them, but there are such things as needs. Needs are part of what, part of the double you do need. There is a necessity. If you don't, if this doesn't happen, this won't arise. Yeah. So if there isn't attention, if there isn't some direct triggering, lighting up, switching on the tension, well, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You can't do this half asleep. If there isn't some firing up, some sense of motivation to to um, let go, to you know, relinquish. This doesn't happen. There are specific needs, and it's important to recognise that much of our tanha thirst is a blind fumbling to have our needs have certain needs met. But because of avijja, we don't really see where that is. We imagine or assume that that's going to be found where it can't be found. It's going to be found in the conditioned world, in the sensory world. And what are these fundamental needs for citta? Citta needs transpersonal needs. It doesn't matter what your age, gender is. There are certain transpersonal needs for for chitta to reveal, to blossom, to open, to release. And what are these? Well, there's the need of freedom. You might call freedom, freedom from. It's important to put a qualifier on that, because you say freedom, well, what does that mean? You can probably put, have that blank check and write freedom to eat, roam, travel, <laughs> do what I want. No, no, it's freedom from, freedom from uh, afflictive influences, freedom from uh, influences and effects that, that cramp the mind, cramp attention. Um, influences that cause skillful factors to decline. Freedom from pessimism, doubt, freedom from worry, freedom from self-criticism and hatred, freedom from oppression and fear. Freedom from boredom and apathy, freedom from fearfulness, freedom from... So, without these, naturally, Things aren't going to blossom. Once you begin to name what fundamentally oppresses the chitta, doubt, self-doubt, despond, uh, critical, lack of respect, lack of self-respect, lack of honouring. Inability to deeply attend and drink in what's good. Self-starvation, kind of anorexia of the heart. Whereby, you know, self-respect, warm-heartedness towards oneself somehow becomes improper or weak or needy or pathetic, you know. Mm-hmm. So when we mistake needs for for cravings, because we're looking or expecting those needs to be met, where they're not going to be met. 
I'm not really going to get out of boredom by switching on a movie. I get bored with those too. I'm not going to get out of fear and anxiety by having, you know, a million dollars in the bank and and armoured guards standing around my door. I'm still going to feel nervous and anxious at some level about my mind, whether I'm going crazy, whether people like me or not, you know, and so on. You don't, so you don't get rid of these, these obstructions through tanha, but through clarity, uh, and through recognizing the qualities that deeply afflict the chitta now are its own perceptions. There's only certain things that affect the chitta and there are two, essentially perceptions or impressions and feeling, quality of disagreeable feeling. And disagreeable feeling or disagreeable feeling, all feeling that occurs to a chitta occurs through perception, not through sense contact. So you might see something and find that looks horrible to me. Well, of course, it doesn't look anything, it just looks like light and colour and shape. My interpretation of that could be, I don't like it. Okay, that's my impression. That's my perception, therefore I find being with it disagreeable. I don't like that odour, therefore it's disgusting. Well, you know, start running that one around the world, how many things are going to come up with uh, gold stars on them? You look at anything for long, you get bored with it. And probably, <laughs> how long is anything going to be an agreeable uh, sight or sound before it gets just to be normal and so what? So this quality of perception is the impression that the mind has of a phenomenon. And... Uh, it's unreliable, it's subject to change, and the feeling that arises from that is also subject to change. Now we are, the Chitra's heart is actually profoundly affected by these, and particularly the most powerful ways in which our experience of perceptual world is, is loaded is in terms of myself and other people. This is the thing, that is our big learning through our life as humans. We learn, you know, physics, math, chemistry and so forth, but mostly you learn people. You learn who you are by other people, respond to you, see you, talk to you, reward you, accuse you and so forth. You learn, and you learn from day one. And it's not, so you get your perceptions of what's agreeable, where the good stuff comes from and where it gets taken away. The happiness, the warmth is taken away. So uh, you learn to be someone, try to be someone who will have as little of the pain as possible and as much of the rewards and happiness and acceptance as possible. You learn that. And uh, you experience yourself in that domain. So it's very much held in that criterion, even the point in which myself is moulded out of the sum total of all that. It's not purely you know, passive, it's also naturally my own interests and desires and inclinations and so forth. Mm-hmm. Learning about what makes me feel good, but then that's going to be very much moderated and affected by uh, other people for good and for bad, of course. So we are very much bound in that perceptual world. Perceptual world takes no effort. It happens spontaneously and pretty much immediately, just as when you see a, you know, an orange globe, you think fruit, orange. Could be rubber, but you think orange. This is what it looks like. You don't have to you know, have a lot of effort to do it, it just flashes in. In fact, 
perception is flashes. It's it's much quicker than thought. It flashes, and perceptions of ourself flash, uh, and you can notice it change depending whether you're in your own, other people, people you know, people you don't know, people you feel happy with, people you don't you don't feel comfortable with. You just start flashing. You know your your sense of self starts flashing, trying to find the modality that's going to be the safest. And if you don't know what's the safest, better just clam up. Don't do anything. <laughs> so uh, this the need for freedom from that. If that's happening, you know. We're so rocked around, it gets, what's the point? What other kinds of needs? The need for, uh, experience happiness to sense of which goes in line with that we want to something that needs to feel uh, an uplifted uh, state rather than oppressed rather than struggling we have to feel happiness and happiness in this sense just means the uh, absence of unhappiness yeah. now of course with tanha we're looking to find that in some particular object or another, some uh, sight, sound, touch, taste, or object that will provide all of those, as many of those as possible, could be you know, physical condition, a physical condition people we live with, place we live at, pleasant scenery, comfortable temperature, and so on. So as much of that as possible. And you can recognize that uh, by and large, when seemingly quite a lot of these things are in place for people, um, you know, when people are relatively uh, okay, healthy, okay, enough resources, material resources are still okay, nice place to live, okay, uh, you know, nobody's bombing me, so forth, okay. And that opportunity is you can be used just to further deepen into greed, hatred, and delusion. Accumulate <laughs> more, complain about other people, <laughs> the other side of the world, or whatever. No, I just get into obsessive, addictive behaviours. So, no, you know, tanha doesn't don't get in that that thirst for. Uh, removal of difficulty and experiencing pleasure is not accomplished purely by the sensory world. In fact, it can be a big distraction. But it can be accomplished in terms of heart, jitta, awareness. And it's essentially the happiness of freedom, happiness of non-oppression, happiness of good energy, steady, stable uh, energy, happiness of a mind that is even, composed, happiness of a mind that's not jumping and jolting, happiness of behaviour that leaves you with no sour tastes or hangovers or regrets. Happiness can be found but it is found through proper attention, careful guidance, self-reflection, inquiry, patience, steady contemplation. Through it, attention is necessary. Deep attention, ongoing attention is necessary. It's to 
Well, also there's a need for mutuality to feel one is in harmony with others rather than in conflict with them. Yeah. And uh, you know, if one can be, we can try to find someone who agrees with us all the time. Well, <laughs> that isn't necessarily going to happen, is it? How could it happen? How could two personalities see things exactly the same? But generally, agreement occurs, mutuality agreement, through respecting differences, through listening, through attentiveness, through arriving at negotiation. Yeah, this feels fine for me and you, great. Working together around that. So that can be enjoyable. Just the sense of negotiation can be an enjoyable experience rather than conforming. Yes, well, how is that? I don't know. Just even attempting to negotiate with another person can be enjoyable. I learned something about my impatience or my, why don't you see it my way? Or for goodness sake, it's like this. (laughs) I learned something about that. I just stopped doing that. You know? This is something that's going to take, you know, as long as it takes. Now this getting impatient or opinionated is not going to make it any better or any smoother for anyone. Most fruitfully, negotiation is negotiating with one's body and mind. Actually, how does this thing work? I'm telling you, focus on that. I've told you simply, and I've told you again, focus on that. Look, focus, just get on with it. <laughs> Stop dithering, get on with that. <coughs> if you don't do that, I'm going to start getting nasty. You know? <laughs> <laughs> focus on that. Shut up, be quiet, get on with it. Well, you know, you did to talk to another person like that? <laughs> do you talk to yourself like that? Do you have that attitude in mind? Or is it, what? Well, I don't know, what, what's, what's needed here? What, what, what's really needed? Just even that is mutuality, which is based upon something more loving, isn't it? If you want to use that term. Right? The sharing, therefore, the medium of sharing, you call it love doesn't mean sentiment, just means there's an open space of mutual respect, warmth, non-removal of, of warmth, non-removal of care, non-removal of consideration, non-erecting of time boundaries, non-erecting of opinions, non-erecting of fixed positions. Yeah. Therefore, we need that. It's a healthy medium. It's not a romantic desire. It's a fundamental requirement for proper life. <coughs> and this, you know, life isn't segmented into, you know, there's spiritual life, there's one. That, no, it's there's only one. It has different dimensions in it, but it's only one kind of reality way it's not you know it's just how some aspects of reality if you hold them correctly can deepen to ranges that we didn't really understand or know when you remove the tanha upadana avijja suddenly something's mundane is your own body the feelings in it your own mind states can Shift and reveal and open the textures of that can widen to be seen through that. And, oh, all this was there all the time, and you didn't know it. You didn't realize the qualities of boundlessness that were present, as we were looking in the wrong way, with the wrong attitude. So when we take on something like a uh, a mutuality within ourselves, within our own experiences. How is this going to? Are my attitudes correct? Is my approach correct? I'm coming from 
dismissive of those cruelty and, and fixed opinions. No, that ain't going to work. We might do something, certainly do something. But whether that's really where you want to go or not. And you try rolling some of those attitudes out and lighting them down and seeing if you'd approach another person with those attitudes, what kind of response you think you'd get. So why do you do it to yourself? And we need to experience uh, bringing forth. We have a bounteous potential. Some of us, something is aches to bring that to light, to reveal it, to bring it forth. Whether it's in terms of other people, our jobs, our pursuits, our families, our spiritual life, to rise up, have a sense of potency, fertility, bringing forth. And of course there are many things we can bring forth, some are of dubious value, or short-term value, most beautiful thing we bring forth is our chitta, our heart. And you bring that forth with devotion, with love, with sincerity, with acts of kindness and compassion. These are needs, not trivial desires. Without these in some way being met, One's life is limited when it needn't be limited. One's heart is under force constraints when it needn't be. Most of these force constraints are because we're looking in the wrong direction and we're looking in the wrong way, in the wrong perspectives. Much of this is based upon our perceptions of what the world is about, our perceptions of what we're about, our perceptions that we've taken the limitations of our minds as being the final statements, the limitations of our moods and understanding as being final statements, just because that we finalise them, something is gives up, something is finalised, it's going, well that's me, that's what I am, that's it, that's as much as I can be, or that's all I ever get, or other people like that, and I have to do this, you kind of you get that tonality, a certain flatness, or a numbness, or a closure. Yeah. And as you come to the, the these are these become fundamental attitudes, so fundamental, like the flash of perception, which you don't have to wait for it to happen, it's happening all the time, it's flashing. Attitudes, you don't adopt them, they adopt you. You know, you, you suddenly in one. You know, it's closing around you, it's got that place of, well, you know, that's all it that's all it is, that's as far as it goes. And some of these attitudes that we perhaps barely question um, uh, are held there because we uh, uh, adopt wrong assumptions, such as uh, you know, such a thing as uh, being uh, right or wrong. The right person, and that can vary. It could be the right size, the right shape. Mm. The best kind of intelligence, the 
healthiest, the fittest, the strongest, the smartest, the quickest. That's the best, and everything else is secondary to that. And when you run any of these things through, you recognize, well, you know, there's a number one somewhere, but you aren't it. <laughs> so that's her attitude, which means there's a sense of, well, that very much uh, puts a boundary on it. There's a number one somewhere, but you aren't it. What if there wasn't any number one? There's only a whole bunch of number twos. <laughs> and that, yeah. So that's part of a wonderful discovery that helps take the burden off life. We're all, we're all in the, there's no number ones. <laughs> yeah. So it's just the question of uh, recognizing that, you know, on the condition level, we're all number two or number three, things don't quite work, um, but that's the standard. <laughs> that's why dukkha as a characteristic is not necessarily dukkha as suffering. Dukkha just means the incomplete, uh, imperfect nature. And suffering is when you take that and you say, you know, there's something unique about me with that. You're attached to it, you're identified with it. You identify with suffering. We identify with a body that isn't quite right. We identify with a thinking process that forgets or makes mistakes. We identify with emotions that are not socially acceptable. No, they're all there. <laughs> Everybody has this. This is the, called the Sabawa Dukkha, or just the, the imperfect nature of conditioned experience. And you identify with something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just conditions are limited. And part of our practice is changing dukkha as a noble truth, as a truth of pain and suffering. And dukkha is just the conditioned element that you work with. You get spacious around. You don't fixate on, you don't um, you take lightly, you're more tolerant, open, less feeling frightened and wounded by having your imperfections seen or revealed or known even to yourself. Mm, so, everybody's like, we're all like this, aren't we, in different ways. And it takes, when you get that, Suddenly you've got room to breathe. Yeah. You mean not, you're not the only one who doesn't like pain? All right. Who, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, gets, turns up late for something, or forgets something, or drops something, or fall, you know, makes a mistake. You're not the only one. That's not a problem. It's a feature. It's not a problem. It's a feature. Get used to it. <laughs> Internally, externally. And instead of getting into that shame, dread, horror, terror, criticism mode, turn into compassion, kindness, and goodwill. <coughs> transformation. Now, when we talk about uh, attachments and upadana, then probably most people will imagine this means we are hooked on, on sweet, on candies, or on coffee, or on rock music, or on perfumes, or clothes, or fast cars, or whatever. They see all these, we must call affirmative upadanas, clinging to things that we favour. Uh, but actually, um, most clinging is around things we don't favour. Mm-hmm. Most of the clinging occurs primarily to defend us from inferred harm, loss, deprivation, poverty, bleakness, hunger, uh, isolation, rejection. Most upadana is there to do that. 
is to provide a safe enough place where we won't have to feel the pain of rejection, isolation, failure, um, so on. And most Upadana is based not upon um, sense, you know, sense contacts such as objects, mostly based upon human experience with other humans. Where the Upadana is mostly to protect me from the being looked down upon, scorned, um, left out, um, put in the wrong camp, um, not looking good enough in the eyes of others. So most of it's around that. Most of the Upadana is really around safety. Food comes second to safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fundamental need for safety, fundamental need for food. What would you, you know, a tornado's coming through and there's a banana milkshake on the counter. What do you go down and forget, forget the banana milkshake? Get that tomorrow. If I don't get <laughs> down that shelter, is it going to be a tomorrow? So you go for the safety. This is not just a sensory thing, it's a fundamental thing. And safety, for by and large, mostly we are not attacked by tornadoes, maybe even our whole lifetime without being attacked by a tornado or a tiger or an octopus, but you're not going to go very long without being attacked by another human. <laughs> <laughs> It's not necessarily attack, it's a kind of, we don't say physical attack, but a sense of somebody going, mm. <laughs> you know, you don't count, or, you know, so, because our nature is, is mutuality, and we affect each other deeply, and in fact that's, you know, how we are mammals, we're born from somebody else, and we're fostered by other people. Other people are, whether we like it or not, we're wired in to other people with social creatures. So, and the fundamental source of mental pain, which is the big thing, is the withdrawal of the approval of the familiarity of the okayness with other people. So much so that we may spend a lifetime making sure, or trying to make sure that we don't get that disapproval. We want to look good sound good, walk good, talk good, go to the right places, and so on, uh, to avoid that, and vote the right way, or to avoid that possibility, it haunts us, because we all experience it, and it's deeply destabilizing. We are who we are on a condition level because of other people. And we internalize other people. So, yeah, nobody's bothering me. I'm fine, I think. But uh, there can be the, the fundamental anxiety of, uh, of existence. Of, of, I'm okay in here once, but then if people see, or if they're known, or if we even, you know, reveal to my own mind what I'm experiencing, I'm not very pleased with that. I just feel disgraced, shame. So this inter- thing gets internalised. So we cling, or there's a clinging to accomplishment, perfection, uh, performance. It becomes pathological, not considered. Not something we deeply consider, but just an instinct to feel we're doing the right thing and we're coming out okay, then, in some sense, then the blame won't happen, then the the feeling of inadequacy won't happen, the feeling of impotence won't happen, the feeling of being second, third, fourth, fifth rate won't happen, Um, the feeling of being a failure won't happen, the feeling of not being strong enough to do my work won't happen, the feeling of not being caring enough won't happen, the feeling of not being sharp enough won't happen. And all these are perceptions and they carry stings to them. They may be established through contact with other humans, other people, who may, on one or two occasions, have told us that or remind us of that. 
But we can carry those impressions around as basic forms of ourself that keep us in to trying to be perfect, to trying to get it always right, to worrying what one looks like, to uh, being frightened or being concerned about, you know, expressing one's ideas because they might be wrong, or making a fool of oneself, or being late or something like that. All this kind of stuff can be happening. Uh, you don't barely even recognize it, because generally, Vedana helps to block the pain. It cuts. It says, don't go into that area, it's going to hurt, so stay in here. Yeah. It's like we build a, a house, a fortress around, because outside is the bad stuff. So don't go out there. So we tend to limit our lives. You don't go out beyond one's realm of inferred uh, safety. When I was a little kid, little toddler, toddler, I suppose like most kids, you know, you sit in your, lying in your little bed, your little cot, and there's kind of strange things happening you don't understand. It's dark, and there's maybe cars are passing, the street outside, lights flash, and shadows move across the room. What's going on? You feel frightened. You know what's going on? It's dark, and there's these shadows moving in the dark. Moving, it must be alive. Dark things moving, alive. There's monsters. Dad. Dad, Dad, help. Dad comes in. Oh, monsters. No monsters here, son. They've gone away when you came in. (laughs) (laughs) Once you go out, they'll be back again. (laughs) They're under the bed. Okay, he goes under the bed. No monsters under here, son. They're hiding. (laughs) Once you go away, they'll be there. So Padana stops us looking under the bed. <laughs> so it's it's a constriction, and for this the the aspects that we constrict around are obviously sense sets objects to make us feel we're getting our needs met or our needs met, and we've got some in store in case things run out. And like we like to store all kinds of stuff in case. The deprivation will occur. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fundamental thing. So I know my, my sister-in-law and her, her daughter gave birth. She went out and bought like crates and crates of diapers. Like, like I don't know what his kid's going to do, but... <laughs> 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 Make sure, and there's nobody else who can ride diapers apart from her, grand, her grandma. <laughs> and, you know, going to the kitchen, there's crates and crates of cans of things, spices, cans, foods, it's in case Third World War breaks out or something. <laughs> you know, this sense of, if you've got it all there, just in case, you know. So we're clinging around that, and uh, retreats often it's the, the things you're saying, well look, just let go, you'll be alright, you'll be fed. I won't get my, no, just, you'll be alright. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the foods and entertainments, you'll be alright. Without... Yeah. Well, then the other kinds of clinging are clinging to... Um, Rights and wrongs. Make sure you get it right. Your protocols, the procedures uh, established, the routines, and you know, make sure you get it right. No? I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, there's things that we say agree upon in a human understanding that, yeah, this is. This will make things flow, but don't make this uh, some kind of military system. Like, you know, people turn up late, okay, you know, fair enough. It's not a big thing to get fixated upon with a sense of fear. 
but actually motivate you with a sense of, oh, you know, why don't I put other things aside and do this for the welfare of the group, make things more sweet and harmonious, positive, and then rather than the fear boundary. So it's something to be held, but held very much from the quality of, well, this actually is, you know, the whole idea of this is for my welfare. I don't think anybody's making money out of it. Well, it's just my welfare. So why don't I just show up with it and you know, work with it? But of course it's up to you. And finding your way with that. The spirit of making an effort with goodwill and friendliness. And with a sense of friendliness is the atmosphere. There's no regime. There's no indoctrination. There's no force in this. It's all cooperation and consent and if that isn't there well okay maybe, maybe you know I understand that maybe one of those things has clicked in where you're sensing that we'll work with that you get fixated upon rights and wrongs and opinions and views and you get fixated upon the sense of myself my you know, we can live very much in our own little domain, and uh, uh, you know, my whatever it is, two and a half feet of some cushion that's mine, that's me, this is where I am, you know, <laughs> my place, and I'm in here under my skin, and that's that's where it all happens. Well, no, <laughs> yeah. Your skin is porous, and you're affected, and the space around you. And it's not a matter of obsessing, a matter of really, really important to feel the given that you can't construct, that you can't do, that you can't make, that you can't own, that isn't something dependent upon anything in you other than just being aware. And that's boundless. Eyes open, closed, it's there. Yeah. So this is not some introverted obsession, but taking refuge in space, in ground, in rhythm, in composure, and keeping in touch with that as you move, as you eat, as you do what you do. And that is probably the most important single need. <coughs> Without that, your meditation will probably have an intensifying effect of getting you more caught up with your, with your stuff, more fault-finding with your stuff, more enmeshed in it all, more making, heightening its intensities, not leading to its dissolution. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do this from the person point of view. We do take refuge. And, you know, whatever the symbols are for refuge, I said as a fundamental sense, refuge has to be something safe, otherwise it's no refuge. Safe isn't something that you should have to bargain for. Where do you sense that? That's not dependent upon your being good enough. Anything enough. It's just given. Where's that? Do you allow yourself to, to relax enough psychologically to touch that? Can you accept your limitations so they no longer become a place of conflict but just the feature? Yeah. And through that non 
opposing. You don't make them disagreeable, they're just a feature. You don't conflict with your limitation with the limitations of your body mind. We don't conflict with it. It's no longer so in so such a fixed place. You can see past that. It's just a, so what? It's no longer that heavy wall of, of obstruction. It's just glass that you see through. Comes transparent. <coughs> you can see through that. There's the complete acceptance of that. Because everybody's second rate, and there's, there can't be any other way. There's the acceptance of that, and then we're no longer, you know, shying away from it, painting it up, decorating it, worrying about it. We just, just get over, you know, <laughs> through that through that, by non-identification with, non-opposing that. You see, there's something beyond that, beyond yourself, beyond your perceptions. It receives. There's refuge, safety, and spacious. And you can breathe in it. And you can move in it. And you can let your thoughts bubble in it. And your emotions move in it. You can feel a welling up powerful emotions. Joy or fear or whatever. Often joy actually. And so, all that is rhythmic is allowed. And it subsides, moves through. And you feel still that quality of openness and space hasn't left you. It cannot leave you. You leave it. Um, so qualities that are really essential to encouraging this are non-resistance. Uh, Buddha defined these as uh, three particular attitudes, root attitudes. One is non-violence or non-abusiveness towards oneself, fundamentally. Non-cruelty, which means non the absence of indifference, harshness, shrugging, so what? The absence of that. New battery. I think the battery... Battery failure. Non sensuality, which is, uh, you know, to not expect the sensory world to be something other than it is. Pleasant, unpleasant. Sense pleasures are pleasant. Yeah. We find sense pleasure pleasant. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so you can get into these sort of, you know, puritanical attitudes of feeling shame because you like things. <laughs> but sense pleasure wasn't pleasant. We wouldn't be, <laughs> we wouldn't be sentient. <laughs> so some things are pleasant, but you don't have to get, you know, intoxicated with them or resist them. Some things are unpleasant. You don't have to get infuriated and feeling indignant. <laughs> it's just unpleasant at all. So by non-favouring and non-opposing, we find that we pass through the door of the senses. Non-favouring and non-opposing is a mental action. That's what makes us unhappy and confused. 
pleasure is pleasure. So, can't have disagreeable is disagreeable. So, what's beyond that? Mm-hmm.